night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the program. Great to have everybody here as we kick off a live show. I know these have been somewhat infrequently uh, infrequent lately, and I apologize for that, but I appreciate you all being here. I've also been told through uh, several people that YouTube is being a little funky tonight. I don't necessarily know what that means. Some folks were saying they were trying to watch other streams, and those streams weren't cooperating, a lot of errors. I hope you don't have that problem with this stream, but if you do, remember, it'll be archived not only on YouTube for later viewing, if you need to go back and catch up on the program, but you can also find it at the normal podcast sources. Best places for that, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, but you can find it at all major podcast distribution platforms. We have a real treat for you tonight. I told you last week we're going to try to do some things a little bit differently as this program evolves. And as you know, I have to spend a lot of time working on my other program, uh, The Independence Gang. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to have a guest like we normally do, and that guest will be John Doc Likens. We're looking forward to hearing about his paranormal experiences, his investigations, also some other things that he's done that I think you'll find quite interesting. But in addition to me being here talking about it, asking questions, we're going to have a couple other experts with us. We'll have Britt Griffith, you know Britt from Ghost Hunters, and we'll have uh, psychic medium Rebecca Foster, good friend of the program, has been on a lot of our shows in the past, and knows a lot about investigating and also uh, obviously connecting to the spirit world. So all of them will be joining us and we'll get started here. Uh, John, welcome to the program. Great to have you with us. And I'm really excited to try this new format out and you're a great guy to start it with. So thank you for being here tonight. Thank you. And Rebecca, always good to have you on the program. Thanks for joining us. I'm looking forward to your perspective as we talk about this stuff with John tonight. Before we get started, let people know right now, and we'll do it again at the end, where they can follow your work. Uh, most of it's posted on godstool.com, and I post most of my updates there. If you Google my name, Dr. Rebecca Foster, Clairvoyant Medium, you'll find the links. And Britt, I think, I, I, can you hear us? Do you know we're live, Britt? Because you're... Yeah, I, I'm excited. I, uh, I haven't done a, a really uh, a paranormal interview like this. Normally, I'm the one getting talked to or asked questions of. So it's going to be fun to be in the other seat and uh, make John answer all the tough questions. So I hope you're ready. Hey, it's JV here. You know I've asked for your support in the past, and I'm going to do it again because it's really, really important. And there are a couple of ways you can support the show, and it's so inexpensive. Now, you can go to Patreon, and you can become a Patreon supporter, and we really, really encourage that. But there's also another way. If you look at the description of the podcast, if you're a podcast listener, and you scroll down to the bottom, there's a way to support the show directly through the podcast app. And it's only 99 cents a month. It's less than a buck. You probably have that change in your couch right now. That dollar a month, less than a dollar, goes a long way in helping us produce this program, provide great interviews for you during the course of the week. I thank you in advance because the support is so important to the program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Hey, John, let's, oh, get, yes, sir. let's get started by finding a little bit about your history, particularly, you know, how did you get started with an interest in the paranormal? That doesn't happen for everybody. There are, you know, those of us in this particular chat obviously all got that bug at some point. But what about you? How did it start for you? Well, I, I guess growing up, I had two grandmothers. One was in Harrison, Arkansas, and one was in Columbus, Ohio, where I'm from. And they both enjoyed uh, UFOs and uh just different things. And uh, my one grandmother in Ohio used to take us to graveyards and walk around at night and just to hear the quiet, she said. But it kind of the UFO thing started picking up at first uh, the most. And then uh, later on, uh, I was a uh, Navy hospital corpsman stationed at, with the Marine Corps at uh, Paris Island, South Carolina. And I had a wild experience there during Hurricane David in uh, 1979 that uh, really, uh, really freaked me out, to be quite honest with you. And uh, after that, I, uh, in you know, I kept thinking, I got to do this, I got to start doing this. So 1987, I uh, was mapping some ghost towns uh, in Southeast Ohio. I mean, not investigating per se, but just mapping the towns for uh, a group. And uh, I had something happen, uh, which, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of the Moonville Tunnel, uh, down that area and uh, King Switch and Ingham Station and I said oh man I, I, I just got to keep doing this <laughs> I said I love this stuff and uh, and here you are and here I am so as, as you started to get an awareness and a sense of some of these things what were your original thoughts some of us go into this field thinking okay ghosts are you know spirits in a religious sense some of us think that ghosts are maybe interdimensional or some type of time travel even did you have any kind of sense when you started well no not really but i i shortly after all this happened i would say well this has, has to do with your basic you know ghost is caught maybe between heaven and earth at first and then uh i'm catholic so i i is like uh, my church was kind of giving me a ration of crap about it but uh it was it was just uh just one of those one of those things and I, I i finally kind of decided on the fact that i really don't know exactly what a ghost is but i'm going to find out rebecca we have all uh chased that question uh some of us has come up come up with answers but uh in your heart when you talk about ghosts or when you talk to ghosts rebecca what do you think they are well, I talked to two different types of energies, and there are ghosts, which are what I consider the energies that have not yet transferred themselves and moved towards the heavenly realm. They're stuck in this dimension, or not even in this dimension. They're stuck a few dimensions out away from us. And then there are spirits that have crossed over, and with that, they're able to really travel anywhere they want, anywhere they want to go. And that's what I always try to convince them of is it's okay to leave here because once you check in, you we're, we're, we're like what I consider the zero dimension. We're here. And then when I'm talking to people, they are in the heavenly realm is about five dimensions out. And then between that, you're getting ghosts, those that are right next to us, you're getting shadow figures, you're getting, so there's several different dimensions. Brett, you heard it, you heard John talk about how he developed a bit of an interest here and how it started to 
become a bit of a fever. You had a similar experience. You uh, started to question some of these things, decided you wanted to look for answers. Uh, John's looking for answers. Rebecca's looking for answers. We're all looking for answers. Are answers there to be found? Well, if we look long enough and hard enough and we develop enough of the proper uh, equipment that can at some point in life uh, see what's going on, see into the next uh, realm of energy, wherever these ghosts are coming from. I mean, think about all the air, think about all the UFO stuff that's going on right now with the Navy. And they've, they've said the only reason they can see this stuff right now it was, an, was an upgrade to radar the radar units and now they're seeing all this stuff so was the stuff there all along and then they made a, a, a an advancement in equipment now they can see it i'm hoping the same thing happens in the ghost world or the spirit world that we make an advancement at some point in equipment and all of a sudden boom we can see it now we have been marching along and improving stuff and having more array of environmental monitoring equipment and which is helping us dial in to where the paranormal activity happens at so um yeah, I, I I forgot the beginning of the question, but I, I think John, I think John, who's been doing this since before dirt, um, all the way to now, he has seen a wide uh, a wide arc from back in the days with just sticks and divining rods to where we're now using all this electro electro electronic equipment, and we have a much better understanding and you know full spectrum cameras, and so it's going to be an interesting story uh, to hear John's story tonight because. He's been doing this a damn long time. John, tell us about those early days when you first started investigating. I was reading about some of the work <laughs> you did early on. And, um, you know, obviously in uh, the late 80s, early 90s, I would assume, I wasn't investigating back then, but I would have to assume it was a little bit different than it is now. Yeah. Tell me how that those early it, days were for you. Well, first of all, it was all word of mouth. Uh, you couldn't, there was no internet, of course. And if you put a... Uh, an ad in the like Lancaster Eagle Gazette paper, uh, they'd probably come get you and put you in a rubber room somewhere. So it was all word of mouth. And the equipment that I started out, I think it was a BMP 100 Sony, about the size of a small Volkswagen on your shoulder, and a tape recorder with actual real tape. And uh, that's basically what I had and I worked with. And uh, but we didn't, of course, have uh, like uh, Audacity program to uh, to read it uh, or anything like that. And then late, later on, things came along. I think the the first thing that really caught my eye that I I liked was the K2 meter, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. And it's kind of you know, but back then we had basically nothing to work with, <laughs> absolutely nothing. Yeah, and uh, who, do, who did you look to as mentors or guides? Maybe you know what what examples were you following back then? You know, there were people. There were people as early as well, probably predate the seventies. But I know uh, Elaine and um, um, the Warrens anyway were, were investigating the Warrens, in the seventies. Yeah. Uh, you know, there were some that were out. Hans Holzer was out there. There were some out there. Yeah. Who were using? Who were you using as role models for this? I I, I guess Hans Holzer was. You know, I. Got a whole, after I started, got a hold of every book or anything I could get on him, and uh, I kind of, you know, emulated the best I could on how he did it, and uh, the calmness of the voice and and that sort of thing was kind of key to me. And uh, I, uh, I, I, well, kind of, kind of, it still freaks me out to this day. I see when I watch the Holzer files that, uh, and I really like the show. The uh, when they go back to Han, to Hans and his. Uh, 
his medium, it was all, it was so dramatic and, you know, kind of the way it was, it was just so different, you know, and I, and I, at that point in time, I, I, we weren't using mediums. And matter of fact, I didn't know where the heck I could find one. <laughs> you know, I, I really didn't, except, you know, but, uh, I, you know, I, I, I emulated him more, more or less. Yeah, yeah. But then when, when, when ghost hunters came along, uh, I remember I was at my girlfriend's house and she goes, she goes, you like that ghost stuff? And I'm like, yeah, she goes, look at this new show. And I'm like, ah. and, uh, so taps after that taps became my kind of way to do things. Yeah. And that, that happened for a lot of people. Rebecca, uh, John's talking about, uh, not being able to locate a medium to use in his early work. Where do you think, I'll, I'll let you answer this question. Then I'll let you ask a question of John uh, about his early days here, but of, uh, investigating, but where do you think a medium <laughs> belongs in the, uh, in the scope of an investigation? I think it depends really on the team itself. Some people, I don't think want a medium around at least i've i've experienced both sides that do and don't i just think that having someone such as myself as long as they're legit it helps to triangulate all of the experiences and to bring a different perspective to not just the scientific equipment that's being used but again to be able to say okay this is what's happening and then have it verified on several pieces of equipment and even an SLS and, an, you know, have a recording at the same time. So as far as having a medium available, as long as you have one that's legit and it's not going to, that person is not going to bring harm to your team, it's worth having someone like that on, at least an investigation. I don't like to investigate. I like to tell you what's going to go, but I don't want to go sit in some dark cubby hole. Yeah. No. Yeah. Did you want to uh, ask John anything about his early days of <laughs> investigating? Well, I guess, John, having, you know, got some of your backstory and sometimes people will say sensitive individuals such as yourself would find it difficult to be on an investigation because you're opening yourself up to so much and looking at your backstory and everything that you've gone through find mm -hmm. that when you are on investigations that that vulnerability creates more of let's say a portal for energy to use be more vulnerable yeah um if i understood correctly what you said um well first of all i would love to have a meeting with our new group right now i really would uh the reason i would love to have one on board is I, you know, I, I've worked with them once before and they would say, Hey, don't go in there. Don't do this. And that made me feel very secure. I mean, I was like, Oh, yeah. good. And I mean, a big time. Um, but I, I think they're great. And I would really, I, finding a legit one for me has been kind of hard. And I hate to say that and to tell you the truth, I kind of hard finding some legit paranormal investigators these days too. I mean, you know, that goes that way too. I hope that answered your question. Yeah. I'm. Yeah, no, that's good, Britt. Um, you know, you also uh, were an investigator that um, 
saw Ghost Hunters for the first time, and it changed your perspective too, didn't it? I mean, it was you know before you actually started participating with the show, you looked at t- to that show as a game changer. Right. Well, I mean, I. I, I joined an organized group about a year and a half before Ghost Hunters came on the air. And I remember the days sitting at uh, sitting at the uh, the Starbucks with your group and trying to figure out how are we going to get into this building? How are we going to get into that house? Because people would laugh at you. You're what? Get out of here. Because it was still taboo. We couldn't talk about it. No one could talk about it without getting laughed at. And then I remember the first time Ghost Hunters came on, which was like, what was it, 2004? I watched it for the first time. And at the time I was married. I'm not anymore. Um I watched it at the end of the show. I looked over at my wife, Holly, and I said, I think this is the first paranormal show I can actually watch. Now, mm-hmm. and then from there on, it was like, oh my God, here came all the cases. Holy crap. It was a, it was like the door got kicked wide open, had a place to go. People could talk about it. People could. Now, there was a lot of fake people. Where's Jay and Grant? It's like, well, that's a TV show. We're not TV people, you know? And it was kind of crazy. But it changed my life in the way that, that it really opened. Hold on. Ghost Hunters came on the air. Brett, Brett, I hate to interrupt you, but your mic is all funky. It's crackly and it's breaking it's up. We're not, we're not hearing you much. Okay, how about that? Is that any better? Yeah, that sounds a lot better. There okay. you go. Uh, all right, but okay. Um, I thought it was hitting my jaw, so I pushed it out a little bit. Um, so basically, my thought, my, my point is, is that Ghost Hunters opened the door for us in organized groups to really start getting into places, and we did. And even before Ghost Hunters came on the air, I was always kind of a techie guy. I, I'm not. I'm about as sensitive as a brick. I am the polar opposite of Rebecca. I don't feel anything. All of my <laughs> wives and girlfriends will tell you that. I don't feel anything. But I love the equipment, and all we're doing, right, John? All we're doing, we're monitoring the environment for fluctuations in the emf field temperature field barometric pressure field so many that that don't fluctuate and when they go into flux and then you get an evp at that exact same time that is like so interesting to me and then it's like so how did that all happen how did it harness that energy in the emf field why did it affect the barometric pressure i mean all these questions i'm wondering john you've been doing this forever even before we had this equipment i mean were you able to do this so much that, you know, you walk into a room and it's like, oh, it's a little different, even though you're not sensitive, but you can just tell the energy was off. Did that, were you ever well, able yeah. to do that or did you always have to have equipment? Well, no, to an, to an extent, I mean, you, I'm sure, Brett, you've been on, you know, Ghost Hunters and you probably walked into a room and they get that heavy feeling. It's like a, mm. oh, it's heavy in here. You know, it, it just feels like you're in a London fog almost. And, yeah. uh, but other, otherwise from that, uh, if I could throw in something real quick, uh, I got my first SLS camera a few years ago. And just before that, my brother-in-law, Jamie passed away. He drowned and his side of the family didn't have, uh, you know, anywhere to bury him. So I said, Hey, I, we were good friends. I'll keep his urn. So it sits in a nice place in the house. And, um, so one day I had, I, I got it out and I was home alone and I was like, well, I can't, I was trying to map my dog and the cat and the parrot. Nah, it doesn't work. <laughs> so I, I decided to sit in the hall or stand in the hallway and take, you know, that has a large screen on it and take it in the mirror and I could see it and I held it just right. And I, it started mapping the top part of my head. So I moved it down and all of a sudden, stick figure appears on my left side which means it's actually on your right side and i went oh wow i got that out of my mouth and 
something yanked my back of my belt loop on my Levi's hard, like boom. And I, 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 I about crap my pants. I was like, <laughs> you know, I, uh, excuse me. I got, you know, I got to get out of here. So, I mean, I mean, I, that's the first time I ever felt something on an investigation and uh, I have hours of uh, SLS film and saying, if you're Jamie, raise your hand, you know, that sort of thing. But uh, that I, I am like Brett is. I, I, I as a medium wise, uh, I'm like a big rock. You know, so, <laughs> except for that so one time. You, so why are you using your SLL, SLL camera? Are you, SLS, do you have another yeah. camera that? I'm sorry, SLS camera. Are you using another camera to document that there's actually nobody there? So like you have a GoPro Go, oh, yes. and it's got the whole room, so that you could say, look, right. there's no one there. Why is it picking something up? Well, what what I have is I have uh, I kind of built a, a I think it would hold it holds different you know cameras that have different slots in it, and right now I have it one set up where there's SLS and a GoPro right beside of it, and then I I bought a FLIR one for my phone. So I made a contraption for that, set that, and then now I don't know if you've heard of this yet. It's uh, an app for the for the first time I found a ghost app that actually works. It's called S Ghost Tube and SLS, and I put th those things match up perfectly. And so huh. you know, this guy just wanted to throw that out there. I mean, it's unbelievable, and it's a free app, which is really scary. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, but I I, ac I actually. You know, try to make say you know, sure. And what I have been lately, Ron, one of my guys, he'll stand behind me with a handy cam, filming all of that at the same time. So I like to back up either three to four ways up. of backing that evidence. Yeah, evidence yeah. backing it up. Yeah, the more redundancy you can have, the better. I I want to ask you, John, about your specific experience on Paris Island because that seemed to be a real pivotal pivotal point for you where you had your own experience, therefore it probably fueled that curiosity even more oh, than it had yeah. prior. Yeah. Sure. On, uh, is, I, I used to know the date by heart, but in 1979, Hurricane David uh, crossed over Savannah and came up our way uh, to, uh, Bu to Beaufort, South Carolina, is where Paris Island is very near. And they evacuated all of the permanent personnel except hospital corpsmen, one dental tech, three nurses, two PAs, and security police. And they kept all the uh, recruits there and the drill instructors there. So, you know, it was kind of a, a weird feeling anyway with the base being that empty. And uh, I got sent out. They were, uh, this radio message came in that they had two really sick recruits. And it now – when they paranormal 911 did this they had to use a bit of a poetic license i guess and you know edit some things because they didn't want to use you know the term paris island and so they, it was called undisclosed marine base but um when i got out to these guys we, you know no one knows how the radio got there because when i got there there were it was a uh, group of recruits that were going to be going home that were ill and they had one corporal in charge of it and he was one of the ill people you know, he was kind of watching over him. So I immediately moved everyone upstairs. There's an old World War II barracks that are now torn down. And as I was, uh, I, I got 
the two recruits and the permanent party person, the corporal, laid them out. You know, I started IVs on them. I could do what I could do, you know, with my, you know, we didn't exactly carry a ER in our pocket, but did what we could do. And that's about it. And I had to wait it out. And as I was, I, I, I was so tired. I've already been up 24 hours on a, on a night shift before. And so I laid across a cot between them. And I kind of had like one eye open, half drowsing. And as I heard somebody moving in the room, and I'm like, I, I said out loud, I said, lay the crap down. Don't move around. You're sick. And then when I opened my eyes, I looked up, and here is a Marine Corps major standing over me, kind of leaned down with his hands on his hips. And he goes, Doc. Doc, and well, Doc is what they call hospital corpsman. And he goes, you need to get up now and get these guys out of here. Because that tree outside has been banging on the window, those branches. And he goes, I believe you're in some serious danger here. Let's move them, okay? I'm like, and I snapped too. I'm like, holy crap, yes, sir. And we moved them, moved them to a safer area in the back. And I swear, as soon as we did that, and we were talking it's like five minutes after that. We were talking together. The guy looked flesh and blood to me. And uh, but I remember I, I said, hey, uh, you want to step out on the little foyer there and have a smoke? He goes, I can't smoke is all he said. And I'm like, oh, OK, sorry. And we heard this horrendous crash. And, I, you know, immediately, you know, I ran in there and there was five, the five uh, bunks in a row, cots. And a tree limb had landed across all of them where we were. Oh, wow. And so, so let, let me just it, let, let me just be clear here. Sure. When, at what point did you recognize that the major you saw was not a flesh and blood individual? Well, right after that, you know, of course, I I, I had a radio with me and I radioed in immediately. I said, hey, we got a. A, a tree, you know, part of a tree through a window here. Everyone's okay. And and they said, they radioed back, said, we can't get anybody out there for a long while. Do what you can do. And I turned around and I said, Major, I'm just going to use the name Anderson. I said, Major, Major Anderson, will you look at this stuff? And I'm like, Major? I'm like, what the hell? I kind of got concerned, you know. And, and so I, I remember running to the, to the uh, window and, Fourth and I said, I said, Major Anderson. Nobody answers me. And I'm like, oh boy, he's gonna be hurt. He's out there hurt somewhere. I can't leave my patients. You know, what the heck do I do? Yeah. And uh so I kind of just you know, I just kind of hung there and Rebecca the next sound, morning. Hold on, hold on, let me just interrupt you for a sec, John. Rebecca, yeah. you know, I hear that story and I automatically start thinking, Angel, what do you think when you hear that story? It could be guardian angel people humans come back as guardian angels all the time that sounds human though it sounds like a human energy that's there to help um but i you know i'm watching john i'm watching um as you're talking and twice now a white flash behind you so i was listening to you but i was listening to what's around you it's yeah that up up around you that way yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> And I watched it. And I was like, oh, my God, there's another one. And it's a circle and it just keeps flashing. And I thought, maybe you have a reflection. And then I said, I was listening to you talk and I heard, tell John, I said, hi, just like that. 
female oh, voice. Wow. I thought her name was like Shar- Shari or Sherry or something. I don't even know, but it was like, tell John I said hi. I was like, okay. Wow. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to get out my di- I keep diaries from years back and I'm I'm you know what I'm gonna have to go <laughs> tomorrow morning I'm gonna be searching. Uh, Britt, when Brett when you when you hear that that story, um, you know you've got uh, some type of spirit contact that actually has a purpose. It comes because there's impending danger, and it is warning in this case John of something that's about to happen. John has no idea this is going to happen. Uh, as soon as he you know clears the room, this tree crashes through the uh the into the building and uh the major's gone what what are your thoughts on this um i have a couple questions for john uh in your family tree in your family tree do you have any other military people that go back maybe a couple grand a couple great grandfathers ago or someone who was of rank that would be overlooking you well Um, my 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 father jim uh unfortunately he was killed in 1965 when i was six uh building i-71 north through columbus and he was a uh, a navy gunner's mate and he he got his boat shot out from under twice during the pacific <laughs> campaign oh, wow. and uh and he was fine though but and then my mother of all this might this might sound strange my mother was a navy hospital corps wave during the korean war now now all whether they're male or female you're a corpsman but uh, she was a core wave, and I believe she was either on the USS Bainbridge or stationed at Bainbridge. I'm, I, I don't recall all the way. But her and uh, my uh, uncle Dick was a uh, he was both in the Navy and in the Army. So I, I got I got a lot behind me. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe one of them came back to be your guardian angel, and they knew that they couldn't show up in their uniform they they used to wear. So they mm-hmm. adorn something that you would recognize as authority, and then boom. Because bottom line, if if just if they just showed up in civvies, you'd say, "Get out of here! What are you doing here? You know, I'm not listening yeah. to you. I'm in charge here." But if a major came, so that would be interesting to, if it was some family member overlooking you or extended family member. Um, the I other never, question you know, I never that really I thought had, of that, Brett. It's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. I never thought um, about that. The other thought I have. Uh, it being other than you, maybe it could have been one of the sailors that were or the uh, sick soldiers that were in one of those cots, one of their family members coming back to, okay, I got to go to this corpsman yeah. who's in charge here and make him get my kid out of here, my great guy, whatever. So that'd be interesting. Sure. Um, although you can't go back and investigate anymore because they tore the building down, right? Oh, yeah. that's That was gone like <laughs> two years after I left. But there's a little end to this story. <clears throat> uh, the next day, uh, military police show up. You know, a couple of ambulances with corpsmen, and I remember telling my uh, his name was Petty Officer Willie Miller, best friend I had for 40 years. He recently passed, but and uh, he, uh, I told him the story, and uh, you know, all our nicknames are Doc as corpsmen, but of course you can't have a room full of 40 Docs. But he nicknamed me Junior for some reason, and I told him what happened, and he looked at me square in the eyes. He was he was an African American guy from he lived in Buford. He's from Buford South. He goes, now, Junior, he goes, I'm going to tell you something. Don't you ever tell anyone that story for a long time. Or they're going to put you in a rubber room, son. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, but I, w- what I did do is, you know, that I went home and they gave us a day off, of course. I went back to the barracks and I think I slept for like 20 hours. And I got back up. So my next duty day, I, because this guy told me he was from headquarters company. 
And the major did when I, yeah, the major said, yeah, he was from headquarters company. And I remember when, when everyone got there to kind of rescue us, I said, Hey, this guy from, uh, you know, I said, this guy from, uh, headquarters company uh, major anderson came around here and and the uh, mp looked at me and he goes doc he goes they bugged out way long time ago and i'm like oh okay great and so i walked over to the two of the patients and i said you guys saw major anderson right i mean he's the guy that helped us put you over here and he and both of them they, no they did have high fevers you know they had flu-like symptoms and but uh, they just said, no, one said, Jock, he goes, you just were sitting there jibber jabbering to yourself for a long time. He goes, I just well, didn't, he goes, I just didn't know what the hell you were talking to or what you were talking about. But, you know, you were the one with the IB, so I just shut up. John, <laughs> so I'm going oh, to change the subject here in a second here. But before I do, how long did you process this before you kind of came to the realization that you had just had a very significant paranormal experience? That next day, I went to headquarters company, and I walked in. There's a female sergeant there, and uh, I remember a uh, African American's second first lieutenant, and I said, "Hey, this is what happened to me. Uh, yeah, this major incident. I wanted to thank him." And and uh, the uh, female kind of got a weird look and looked over to the lieutenant. And the lieutenant goes, "Doc, he goes, come on back here a minute." So as, if you've ever been in the military barracks, military setting, there's always awards on the wall, pictures from the past, that sort of thing. So we walk back these two hallways, and uh, he goes, Doc, he goes, is that who you saw? And I looked up at him. It was the major oh, wow. in a picture. And I went, oh, man. I said, can I thank him somehow? And he goes, eh, it'd be kind of hard. I said, why? He goes, in 1975, during the pullout in Vietnam, he was killed. And he was actually, this used to be part of headquarters company where you were, and he was stationed at barracks for a year. Wow. And because, I guess, he goes, I'm sure you didn't see him, right, Doc? And I'm like, aye, aye, Lieutenant, you got it. You know, he's trying to tell me like. Right, right, right. But yeah, but that, yeah, that right there. The, and the reason why he was doing that's that, you. Yeah, the reason why he was doing that is because a lot of people have seen it. It was scaring the recruits away, and they didn't want that out. You're not coming yeah, to the Honda was... training ground. Rebecca, what's the, yeah. what's the connection like that? I mean, obviously, John didn't know this major, but this major uh, made an effort um, from wherever he was to come in and, and perform what was a life-saving uh, um, communication. Bless you. Obviously, the, the people that don't know what I do, I've been doing it for 35 years. And so I do have a background in it. Um, it sounds very much like this major, He's he resides in, the, in that area on the grounds and the barracks that, that were there and was absolutely aware and lucid as far as what was going on, which is extremely possible because it happens every day in my house it happens so it just happens at walmart and these energies just right. continue to function without skin and whatever he used to manifest to you that night massive blessing yeah for certain maybe the electric you know in the air could have been the electricity of the storm 
John, it was a hundred and five mile wind. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of energy there too, John. I want you to tell us because we're going to have to move through some of these things rather quickly because we'll run out of time if we don't. But I want you to tell us about your investigation at Wright Air Force Base or Wright Pat. Um, there's, a, there's a, I, I, it's, it's a funny story to begin with. But secondly, uh, I, I'm curious as to whether you got a sense if any of this talk about that particular military facility housing uh, wrecked alien craft or even remains of alien bodies or anything like that, if you got any information that may support or dispel those uh, ideas? You know, of course, when you're there, there was, I believe, there were like five adult chaperones and they were part of the scouting group, I believe. And then I think there were like five, five, six. Yeah. Tell us how this came to be, you know, so that we understand what you're talking about when you're talking about scouts and chaperones. Well, uh, they, they did have overnight stays back then. You know, of course these days it would never have anything like that, but they, they would have boy scouts stay out there. And, and that was more or less of a, it wasn't a ghost thing by any means. It was just a history thing. And it was so cool to spend the night in an area like that, you know, all these planes. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's an absolute outstanding place. It's unbelievable. So, but I, they, I was like, uh, they knew I was a ghosty. That's what they called me. And I'm like, Hey, uh, what are the chances on uh, me getting out there? He goes, well, for God's sakes, don't tell the air force you're a ghost chasing thing. And I'm like, okay, no problem. <laughs> So I said, so, you know, I, of course, I just brought the video cam and the recorder, you know, I kind of in my, in my gear bag. And that night (laughs) it was, at first you heard footsteps and that kind of spooked some of the kids. And uh, I think before morning we lost a few. (laughs) Hey, mommy, come get me. Oh, really? One of those, um, one of those deals. Mommy, I want to go home. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, we heard this, and of course, you're you're going to be walking around, all right? You're going to be walking around the uh, museum at night anyway, because it's cool. And I was walking with a couple of the boys, and uh, I don't know if the black helicopter is still there or not. It was a kind of like a Bell Bell Huey type thing. It wasn't a, a uh, it, it wasn't a Huey, but it was like a a Bell Commander. It had like a bubble front on it, like like you see on Mash, but it was kind of filled in instead of the wire stuff they had on mesh and it still it had all the you know all the switches and stuff in it so i said hey guys just sitting here and so i turned on my tape recorder and we said let's just be quiet and see what we hear and heard we kept hearing click 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 and i'm like okay and these guys are getting kind of freaked a little bit i'm like i said no problem so i leaned up to the front and I looked at the, I, I took ground school in high school and I've soloed years ago, but but I had a, a little bit of knowledge helicopters. Yeah, Brett, you know what a magneto is in an aircraft? Mm-hmm. Okay, you know the sound that a magneto makes when you turn it on? I, I, I'm like, I, in, my, in my head, I'm like, that's a magneto. So I leaned up through and I saw the magneto switches and they were switched on. So I just reached through and click, click. I said, "Hey, guys, it's just, a, it's, it's just a, it's just a, you know, a little thing flipping up there. They're getting old." So wait a couple more minutes. Click, click. And by that time, the kids are starting to up, oh, you know, move towards the uh, exit. And uh, <laughs> I looked up through there again, and both the magnetos were back on. That's so I, cool. I said, "Guys, I said, guys, walk around a little bit." So I tried some EVPs, and the only thing I got 
and I had to listen so carefully. It was some, all some, I had George. George came across twice, and that was it. I, you know, that that's all I could get out of the whole thing. But uh, that's when the ideas of maybe we ought to go home started coming through. But uh, <laughs> what but year yeah, was that? But, oh, that would be I gotta think. That would have been in the early nineties, very early nineties, I believe. Without my checking, first episode I, of Ghost Hunters was at Wright Patterson Air Force Base. Oh yeah! Oh, that's right. And you guys did do out there. Yeah, and I was so good. All you got to see was my foot, my knee, and my elbow. Get <laughs> out of the entire damn episode. But I know, I know that Bell. I know that Bell helicopter. I sat in that helicopter. I investigated. I got to go out to where the Hindenburg crashed at the spot where. Oh it crashed yeah, I remember. The, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, we did it. We did an EVP session out there right where it crashed. I mean, that was a cool place. There was a lot of weird shit that went on. I mean, stuff. Sorry, JV. Stuff that went on there. Um, but but I do – that museum, there was weird stuff. And, and I, there was weird sounds coming from that helicopter. I remember that. And in my mind, yeah. it was – there was some pilot going, God, why aren't you starting? Start, you stupid thing. And he's just throwing yeah. all the buttons trying to get the fire off. So yeah, that entire cool episode, they, they saw your elbow and what else? Your foot? It was my, it was my elbow, my knee, and my foot. <laughs> John, um, again, the you know part B of that question I asked you, uh, did you ever get any sense? Do you have any idea whether or not there's the rumors of alien craft and or uh, remnants of alien bodies? Is there any truth oh, to that in that. your estimation? At, at in my Pat? estimation, I, I, I would say, yeah. I mean, there's... You hear so much of this stuff, and then as you all were talking about earlier, all this new UFO stuff coming out, starting to put two and two and two together now. And I remember asking the uh, – you have a, secu a uh, Air Force security officer that would let you into the museum, and you know he would be on call, whatever. And I remember just chatting with him, and uh, he knew I was former military. And I said, hey, is it really true that you guys got – and he just looked at me, and he goes – if I would say yes, you wouldn't believe me. If I would say no, you would believe me or something like that. Right? It's something weird. And I'm like – and he just smiled. So yeah. I, I'm per, my personal view is, yeah, I think there is. Yeah, that smile really is do. the biggest okay. frustration of anybody who yeah. is investigating the paranormal. What do you got, Brett? So when we were investigating there, because I was thinking the same thing, and when, when we were out walking in the fields and walking around and going out to where the Hindenburg crash, there were – and I can say this because I was never sworn to secrecy. I never signed anything or anything. But uh, there were just vents, ventilation vents in the middle of a field. There would be one over here in the middle of a field. It's like, are we walking on top of a structure of some sort underneath us? And I mean, we were walking. We were probably at least three or four football fields wide and long. I mean, a big space because they were landing planes and helicopters on the area. But there were vents. There were, there were ventilation vents. It was like, and they were working. Did you so, did you get the the odor of alien parts coming up through yes, there? Is that what? Yeah, yeah, it was a weird stench. Some green gas was floating <laughs> out. It was it was interesting. Some alien yeah, there is or something. Rebecca, what do you yeah, think? Exactly. What do you think of all this? I mean, uh, first of all, Wright Pat has an incredible history without the paranormal stuff, uh, but you know, there's all these little paranormal elements about that particular military facility. First of all, for the paranormal part of it, I would love to investigate someplace like that. But I know aliens exist because I've actually seen it, but, um, or them. Uh, 
just to get on to any military bases like that, oh my gosh, just to vibe on it, to be there, to remotely view it, to do, that would be fantastic. Absolutely. Yes. John, John, I want to completely shift gears here because this is a really important story and obviously very important part of who you are. Tell us your your September 1st, or excuse me, September 11th, 2001 story. Because, you know, that's one of those days like the JFK assassination. We all remember where we were and what we were doing. But you you have a particularly interesting story as it relates to this. The morning that this happened, I was working for a... uh, as a critical care paramedic on a mobile intensive care MSCU unit. And it was owned by one of the major hospitals up there. And it was also a part to that company that was like private ambulance type thing. And I lucked out and didn't have to do the uh, crap calls, but um, the helicopter, apparently the medevac was down near Stanton or some way far out in Virginia wasn't working something. So they said, hey, uh, Likens, you and your partner, you got an easy day today because you're going to go to Stanton and uh, get a heart pump patient and uh, grab a nurse and bring them on back. All day event. And I'm like, Skate City. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> and so that that morning, my we're getting our gear ready. And uh, the manager, his name was Shelton, runs out and he goes, he goes, hey, you two. He goes, you know what's going on in New York? And we said, yeah. He goes, you're both volunteer firefighters too, right? I said, yeah, yeah. He goes, you got your gear in your truck? Your truck, your your own private? Yeah, of course we do. And he goes, throw it in the side compartment of the truck. Just do it. I'm just telling you to do it. And I said, whatever, boss. You know. So we threw our gear in there. And I'm like, now we got gear to carry. Great. Well, that my partner at the time uh we were trying to get to route 66 to head out that way and um we were how we can get lost well it is easy to get lost up there at the, the capitol beltway i'm telling you even if you've been up there a while it's but we were coming down i think it was 395 or something and kevin says get off here get off here right here i'm like dude i get off i think i know so we got off and we were on crystal city boulevard and I'm like, great. And he goes, no problem. You know what? So, and you tell how old this is. We got the map books out. So we're going through <laughs> the map books and doing this stuff and like that. And then it was the oddest feeling. This is the part I remember most about that day. You hear this, <laughs> and the ambulance did one of these things. And we looked at each other, and it just didn't dawn on us at first that something happened, like the Pentagon. And then we had four different type radios in the truck for county, city, and, and in emergencies, we were attached to one of the uh, local fire departments there uh, automatically, like automatic response in a mass mass casualty. Next thing I know, we were at the Pentagon. Trip canceled. <laughs> we're at the Pentagon. And uh, we got there, and for the first few minutes, I, I'm going to be honest, I don't remember the first 10 minutes. I, I, I don't. I don't know why. You know, I remember going through the gate, and then the next thing I remember is help passing in backboards and then pulling people out on backboards through the, you know, the people inside pushing them out. And then we went in the triage mode. And, uh, you know, I, yeah, I had to switch in my head from military triage to civilian triage. 
And uh, all, then all the nurses and doctors showed up and they're setting up tents and things were getting easier. You know, it, it took a lot of stuff off of us. And the, uh, they said they came over to us and said, uh, you guys are going to be rehabbing firefighters because you have to understand it's about 800 degrees in a building, burning building. And you add on the fact it was jet A fuel and it, you know, it was still a warm, warmish day and, you know, out in September, these guys were just coming out of there wiped out, you know, so we're starting two IVs on them, monitoring their vitals. And, uh, I can also remember that we didn't have, uh, uh, I'm just drawing a blank here. You forgive me. Uh, the new thing set up home, Homeland security. We didn't have that back then. So we had, the FBI telling us, do this, get back. We had the other Pentagon people saying, no, go back there. And we had like four different agencies telling us to do things because there was no communication. I mean, they weren't on the even same the freaking frequency. It was chaos, right? Yeah, oh, it was total chaos. And, but the, uh, but we were there, I think we logged out, I think it was 14 hours and some, we, finally left and went back to the wow. to the station. And I, I want to ask you a question about it and then uh, let Rebecca ask. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that we've even had people on this program that have said, whether you're talking about the Twin Towers in New York or you're talking about the Pentagon, that uh, the 9-11 attacks were an inside job or there was a missile that flew into the Pentagon oh. and they have it on video or whatever the claims are. What are your what's your response to that stuff? Well, I can tell you this, uh, somewhere along the line, uh, you know, you're running like the chicken with your head cut off doing things. And I remember actually looking down and saying, it's one of those weird things, oh, part of a landing gear. I step over landing gear, you know, and I said, oh, that was weird. You know, you, you get in this mindset where you're just like trying to make things work. You know, you're trying to get through the, through the call. And, uh, so I, I can tell you that I don't think missiles have landing gears, as far as I know. So I don't think it was a missile whatsoever. I mean, uh, at times you think through all the smoke, and I, I wasn't sure, but you could almost see part of a tail of the plane, you know, that was stuck in there. And so I, you know, I, I didn't get that close because it was so hot you couldn't, but you could almost make it out. And if you remember that big green fire engine, it was parked right there and, you know, on CNN shots and stuff and shooting water. That's where I did. We were right behind that doing most of our work. And, uh, I, it, but I, I, it wasn't a missile. I can, um, I can uh, almost stake my career on. It was not a missile. I mean, landing gear, part of a door I saw and uh, aircraft door. But, uh, I, I think I may have mentioned this in the, in the paper. I, I was on a paranormal investigation a while back. And it was with a couple of different groups. And uh, somebody must have told somebody that, yeah, this, this guy a, was a medic at the Pentagon or something. And so I, I was kind of the one, it was like a three group get together. And I was in one of the ones in charge. And this guy comes up to me and he goes, so was it a missile? And you have to understand, we're in the middle of an investigation. And I'm like, say what? And he goes, was it a missile? And I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself, is this guy on crack? <laughs> and um, so he goes, no, the Pentagon. Here you at the Pentagon. It was a missile, wasn't it? 
And I'm like, you know, I, I just wanted to get rid of this guy. And yeah. I said, sir, I said, sir, missiles don't have landing gears. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. Get out of here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, there, there aren't too many of these conspiracy theories that um, I get a little defensive about, but that that's one of them. Rebecca, did you want to um, um, ask John anything about that day? Because, I mean, that's a day that all of us have it burned into our memories, not just when, you know, the planes were striking buildings or striking fields in Pennsylvania, but they, but for weeks after the aftermath and how the stories started to be told. And you just shared one one with us here, John. So, Rebecca, if you've got something you want to ask. I know what you're saying about the conspiracy theories, and I, I think like most people, the love of the country and so forth, it kind of restricts that whole thought of no, it couldn't happen. Mm -hmm. Our own country that, and I'm I'm thinking that it was a day that I just um, I sat with my mouth open most of the day, staring at the TV, and I don't as far as like a paranormal aspect or a conspiracy aspect, um, that is probably something that is a totally different independence gang topic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I have a question. Yeah. So obviously you were at, uh, at the Pentagon and, and processing all that since then, in all of your investigations, have you gotten any EVP, any evidence, anything that would make you think that maybe someone from that site that died that day, maybe someone on the plane, someone in the building, is trying to reach out and make contact at all? Or do you think do you have any anything that would tie back to that paranormal-wise? I, 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 I would have to say no, and but I would also have to say this. Having PTSD uh, it affects people different ways and different symptoms. And one of the one of the things I have was uh, I tried to block it out for a long time, and I, um, you know, and I try to you know I just try not to think about it. So maybe that uh, you know Rebe Rebecca can probably throw something in on that. I mean, your mind kind of just doesn't want to deal with it, and so I, I but. You know, of all that, nothing, nothing has ever entered uh, in evidence and saying, you know, hey, remember me or something like that. No, I kind of wish it would. Huh. That would have been kind of cool. Huh. Or, know, maybe, or, or maybe you should ask the questions when you're doing your EVP, you know, at, at, towards the end of your EVP session. Just throw one out there. Is there anybody here from yeah, the exactly. Pentagon that was there on? And then see if you get a response. You never know. I, you know, what? I've actually <laughs> never thought about doing that. But, yeah. That's pretty cool. I mean, because because you were there where there was a lot of death, there was a lot of lives that went dead at the blink of a you know at the snap of a finger, blink of an eye. Lots yeah. of death. What was it? Three hundred and something at the Pentagon, D I, dead yeah, I in an so. instant, and you were there. And that energy has got to imprint on something, and maybe you've got some dragging around with you. John, let's that. let's let's um let's move on. You've investigated a sure. lot of really really interesting places. Many of the of the places that I've seen in the list uh, include places that you know, uh, not just TAPS or Ghost Hunters has been, have been to, but a lot of people have investigated. But talk a little bit about some of your more interesting investigations or give us an idea of some of your favorites. Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Uh, that was great. Eastern State Penitentiary overnight was a real good experience. Um, Houghton Mansion uh, up in Massachusetts. That's about four blocks from my stepson's house. Um and uh, I think, well, Penhurst was great. Uh, I got to investigate with John Zaffis there, Dustin Perry, Dave, and Steve. 
and Samantha Hawes and uh, uh, the the girl from uh, the ones the one medium. Uh, God, it's drew a blank. She was uh, Amy Allen was supposed to be there. Apparently, she had a family emergency, couldn't couldn't come. But that was that, that was a great place. Uh, the USS North Carolina is a very interesting one too. But uh, I think if I had to pick a favorite, a overall favorite, I it would be a tie between Eastern State and Trans Allegheny. When you investigate, right. I'm gonna, I'll ask this and I'll throw it out to anybody else who has a question. But when you investigate, what's your what's your general technique? I mean, we've seen how Taps does it. We all know essentially how that mm -hmm. works. Do you follow that model, or do you've got a different technique? Well, I, I do. I do follow that model. I think I've added on like. Uh, are you allowed to say uh, other names of TV shows yeah, on go ahead. here? That's I don't fine. Know. That's fine. <laughs> um, we, uh, well, I don't know. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I, uh, I, I, I'm definitely not the ghost adventures type investigator, but I do use uh, the SLS. I've used um, the Paranormal Puck Two, and um, what was the other one I got? And the uh, Ovulus. Now the Ovulus to me. Has worked occasionally, but it spits out a bunch of random more as far as I'm concerned. But the SLS and the Paranormal Puck, the ITC, that's pretty interesting. So I, I do incorporate that. But that little bit mixed with most of TAP's emulation type right. thing. Right. I don't know if anybody else wants to jump in before I move topics. Uh, not on that. I do have some questions outside of that, though. All right. Go for it. Um, you, John, you said you were Catholic, right? Yes, sir. So, so do you believe in God? I mean, do you believe in the, do you, oh, yeah. do you believe? Okay. Yes. Um, yeah. my other question is, do you, do you believe in ghosts as grandma not crossing over properly or uncle Fred's hanging out in the basement? Do you believe in ghosts that we have enough proof to say that they absolutely exist? I believe that we have enough proof that something exists that, is like that if that makes any sense uh, um i think you know there's there's something there is, is it great is it grandma is it uncle fred uh you know or you know is it and, and for some people that's the that, same person zach megan's find another ghost under a rock somewhere i don't you know, I, I don't I, what do you say grandma fred he said that some people that's the same person uncle fred and grandma <laughs> Well, my, my thought process, I personally don't believe, I don't think we have enough information or enough documented evidence to say that ghost, grandma, not, grandma hanging out, we don't have enough information to say they absolutely exist. We don't have enough information to say they don't exist. I think we're still in the they search. They exist. They exist. <laughs> they exist. I will completely, completely argue that 100%. <laughs> okay. Oh, my Bless you. Go, go ahead, Reed. You take this, Rebecca. Take it. No, I have seen them with my own eyes. I have perfect pictures of them that people will think that's a person. No, it's not. That is a little boy that was dead. I have video where my we brought I brought a little boy home on accident who wanted to hang out with us. He was harassing the boys. They woke Wait, up on. one night and they're like, "You accidentally brought a what? baby home. You accidentally yeah, brought I a kid ac home." I told him you can't come home with me and he still came home with me and then the boys woke up and they're like mom um there was a little boy standing between our bed and i was like great so i put a camera up okay. and i caught his name is gabriel and he he got on the bed 
with my son and he pulls the blanket and he comes up behind him and pulls the blanket up and then goes down and he gets up on the bed and leapfrogs off the bed. I caught it all on camera. I want to see that. Kid? It's freaking amazing. How old was this? this, this How old is spirit? Gabriel? Yeah. Three, three, four years old. He um, appeared to be Down syndrome as well. He came uh -oh. from a brothel. Oh, yeah. wow. oh, that's and he stayed with us so, for about two years. I have EVPs of him as well. That's that's interesting, JV and the, and the gang here. I mean, it, you know, when when they're down syndrome or they're on the spectrum, do you think it's easier for them to manipulate through to make contact? Because they're just I mean, their I chemicals so. are different. Yeah, that, that's that is but I would love to, I would love to see that video. That would that'd be amazing. But my but my, my statement was, was I don't think we have enough documented evidence. That's what I'm saying. Um, I mean, they yeah, could be here. They not, I don't know. Yeah, that, that's what yeah, I'm saying. And I, I, I want that. I want that document. I want to do what the military just did with by upgrading their radar. I want to be able to see them, talk to them, shake their hands. Kind of like we're about to do with aliens, apparently. Hey, JB, can I have Yeah, go ahead, John. Before I, before I get off here, I just I, I wanted to say something about PTSD. Oh, that, could, let, let, okay. Hang on. I, absolutely, because that was <laughs> where I was going to go next, actually. I wanted to close out okay. our conversation yeah. with this. Obviously, something that's um, affected you in a lot of ways, and I also want your take on how it affects. I want to, this affects your life, but also how it affects you in the paranormal community and how it affects your work as an investigator. But you have suffered from PTSD. Uh, you, you obviously, obviously, it's very, very serious. It's something we hear more and more about, thankfully, because I think it's creating a greater awareness. But take a minute, tell us how how it affects your life, how it affects your paranormal okay. investigating, and then I know you have a message for yeah. people who might be suffering from it. Right. Um, it affects me. At first, it was nightmares like you would never, never even dream of. You know, people say, oh, I've had terrible nightmares. I'm like, no, you haven't. And uh, another thing is, uh, you know, I was never in combat and I wasn't trained for combat, but uh, I, it's like the head on the swivel thing. You know, you're always like waiting for a shoe to drop somewhere on you. And uh, anxiety was, uh, was horrible. Uh, I had some depression, but not a lot. Um, but the insomnia is, is, is at times, is god-awful. And uh, that's how it really you know, affects me. And you know, um, the other thing was, uh, when actually, the paranormal. I use it as a positive tool. I know that kind of sounds weird. Instead of making PTS being a hindrance, I kind of make it be a uh, helper. Uh, I use that head on the swivel that I seem to get all the time and use it during the investigation. And then I can pick up more. I can see more. I pay attention more. Um, I can use it uh, uh, sometimes with the, uh, the fact of uh, being uh, – this might fall under medium stuff. I don't know, but I can seem to feel there's a, a dangerous situation coming up, like – a floorboard missing or something i just get that feeling and i start you know looking around and by golly sometimes there is but i i try to use anything i can to you know help me with my paranormal guesstimate and sorry about that investigation and uh you know why 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 let it pull me down why not try to find some way to to use it for the good and i try very hard i'm still i'm still learning well, that, that's a really healthy uh, way to handle it. 
uh, to take something that could be a very negative force in your life and try to find a way to turn it into a bit of a positive, you know, although that probably is a difficult thing to do at times because, you know, it is something that can be very debilitating. But, um, you know, good for you for doing that, John. And I know that, you know, this is something that because you suffer from it, you take it very, very seriously as you should. And what's your advice for people or maybe even family members of other people who might be suffering or maybe you suspect they're suffering from it and it hasn't been diagnosed? All right, there's going to be two parts this. I'll make it quick. Look, if if anyone's listening out there, any of y'all got PTSD or you think you may have it, seeing the symptoms, uh, this seems, uh, I've heard it affects men to the point where they, they just don't, they think it's unmanly to go to see somebody. And I'm sure that is you know, un- unwomanly, I guess, if some females feel that way. I, I don't know. But no matter who you are, and if you, please, Go talk to somebody, whether it's military PTSD, firefighting, EMS, police, uh, you know, has to do with crime, having a crime committed against you of some sort. Go get help, you know, because I've seen a lot of my friends commit suicide with it. And, you know, I please just find some help. That's I beg you, I implore you, find some help. And I, I, I do, I do got to put in one little thing. I just wanted to say I have the best wife in the world. Her, her name is Robin, and I met her in 2012, and she is the first person that accepted me with my PTSD, helped me through a terrible. I was homeless for a while. I got into a program through one of the churches, and became what was called a trustee there. You know, kind of like working with the staff. And I met Robin. And we started dating, and uh, she knew my whole story. She accepted it, and uh, she basically saved my life. I, I, I honestly believe that. She saved my life. And the other thing I wanted to say is I think you may have seen the pictures I sent, Jay. Jay well, uh, I did. I actually grabbed one here to share with folks because uh, I know that uh, this yeah, is an okay. important part of your life too, right? That is Mr. Mike the Lap Chicken. Uh, he is now seven years old, and uh, he's not an official uh, PTSD animal, help animal, or whatever. But I'm thinking about getting him certified. But that little guy has made my life so tolerable. And I also have a, a little conure, a, a bright yellow conure named uh, Molly. And these, uh, you know, Mike's, Mike's a large parrot. He does talk. Oh, boy, he talks. And um, he's smarter than, a, smarter than a whip. And he likes to bow a lot, as you can see on the picture there. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's terrific. And you can see there's a lot of love both ways there in that picture. Um, I got one more question for you, John. Then we're going to let you go. Sure. Um, tell, us about, yes, tell us about your organization, Vapes. I guess it's Virginia Paranormal Explor- Exploration Society. Tell us about it. And Society, how, yeah. of, how often do you get out with the group? Well, um, not much lately. We did get to go to Henricus Historical Park. I don't know if you've ever heard of that down here. It's where... Um, Pocahontas was. It's kind of a neat area. I've investigated out there like four times now. We got to go out in October with uh, Chris Smith and Mike, I'm going to butcher the name, Concalves from Tennessee Wraith Chasers. And then uh, right before that, we went out with Porter from there. But they also have investigations there for the public and stuff. Um, It's a great, great organization there. But we haven't, there is six of us, uh, full, four that are all the time there and two that fill in. Ah, oh, there's Molly. Yeah. 
and um, they're uh, a good group of people. And but we have not really had much else. You know, no nobody wants now that this thing is starting to wind down. I hope um, you know we're going to be um, and there's Robin, and we're going to be uh, getting out there more often now. I've had a couple so of phone calls saying. You've, yeah. you've been kind of uh, um, hampered by COVID, as most of us have, for everything we do. Is that what you're saying? Yes, sir. Oh, look at there. That, that's the young days right there. <laughs> well, um, I don't know if, if, if uh, Brett or, or Rebecca, you have anything else you want to ask John about? Otherwise, I think we're ready to, to let him let him go so we can enjoy the rest of his evening. Anything? No, I guess we're good. Oh, first off, yeah, okay, go, go I, I just want to say thanks. I just want to say thanks, John, you're for welcome. your service. Yeah, thank you. And everything you sacrificed. Yes, um, John. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. You, your story is fascinating. There's so many parts to it, and we had to gloss over them pretty quickly. Um, hopefully, we'll get an opportunity to have you back on the show. Maybe get into oh, a little more, to, yeah. yeah, a little more detail on some of these things. Now that we've met you, we know who you are. So please stay in touch and uh, give our best to your wife, who obviously um, is uh, has has done a great deal for you T took you out of some very low places so god bless her and uh, yeah. thank you so much for being here with us tonight i appreciate you it was very nice uh very nice meeting y'all all right nice thank to meet you. you john all right thanks beyond reality paranormal is hosted by jv johnson and produced by orion palmer and slick eddie edwards like us on facebook and subscribe to our youtube channel please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform click on the link in the description or on patreon at joha productions if you'd like to be a guest on beyond reality paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest contact our producer slick eddie edwards eddie is spelled with a y at slick eddie edwards at gmail.com